Hi everyone, my name is Patrick Akio, and if you're interested in leading by example, the importance of feedback, as well as the impact of a great team lead, this episode is for you. Joining me today, my friend, my colleague, Rustam Alashrafov. Love that guy. I'll put all his socials in the description below. Check him out. And with that being said, enjoy the episode. Beyond coding. Handle is like twice as fit. And it's because it's my, twice as fit. my girlfriend is on the, she does the workouts together with her twin sister. And I thought, okay, twice as fit is a really good name. It's my branding. <laughs> Super proud of that. That's the channel name. I love basically. it. I love it. Yeah. And what's the, what's the idea about it? Uh, it's just workout videos. So it's like a 10 minute ab videos. It's usually only abs related. And then it's like, it depends, 45 seconds on continuously and then different moves or 30 seconds, depending on the, the workout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they distinguish upper, upper abs, lower abs, uh, side abs, no neck, only legs, stuff like that. It's different variants. And uh, so it's you, uh, your girlfriend and her sister, right? I just record. Ah, so you're I'm, just I'm recording. You're not on the video. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're like the producer. Exactly. Yeah. I tell oh. them the moves. They do the moves. I do the recording. I do the editing. Had to edit one last night. So I'll show the reason why I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> they come out every Monday. Okay. We used to do uh, twice a week. Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Thursday, something like that. But it was just a lot with regards to the recording. Like if you no. miss a weekend, you need to make two videos for the next week, basically. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So now it's uh, one a week. Okay, so one a week, you get video of apps. And I'm curious, why was it just them and not you in the videos? Or is like the girls are much more popular on YouTube? I mean, they can they can do the app workouts way better than ah. I can. Like that's, uh, <laughs> they're rough. Like I do them at home sometimes and I'm just, I just get destroyed. Oh, wow. They do like three, if we record, we do two or three, maybe four videos in recording. And I do one workout, I'm just destroyed. <laughs> and I... Like my, I used to play football a lot. My legs are heavy. So if we do like an only leg, I, I, my legs just get destroyed. It's not even abs. It's just yeah, my legs yeah, get tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's really hard. That's the weakest for me as well. Like lifting your legs and doing yeah. any kind of yeah. leg movements. Oh God. Yeah. You feel it on your quads. Like it's very heavy. Yeah. I think it's called, what's called hip flexors, right? That's my, the... my hip flexors are awful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like I, uh, I boulder now. Like I, I went bouldering yesterday. I nicked my hand, but you got to be close to the wall. And then usually your legs also are supposed to be close to the wall. Right. And because my hip flexors suck, basically, they're very tight. Sometimes I can't even move my legs up anymore. If I'm in a position like this, they're like, okay, now put your right foot higher. And I'm like, no, I can't no, do I that. Can't. I try, my leg like shakes like that. Doesn't work. Yeah, I heard that girls are much better at bouldering than guys are. Like when they be. start out. Yeah, I see some girls do like a complete split in midair. And I'm like, okay, like, uh, there's no way. There's no way I can do that. Yeah. And uh, is it your girlfriend that then doing the uh, bouldering as well? No, she doesn't. She doesn't okay. like it. No, <laughs> she doesn't like it at all. She just abs. She uh, <laughs> she does abs. No. She does um, workout classes. There's this workout class in Amsterdam. It's it used to be a church, and now they made it into a workout. Like hmm. it has a workout area, fitness area, and they do classes. It's called Saints and Stars, I think. There's also a podcast. It's in Dutch. I checked it out, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it actually looks quite nice. She's been doing that for a while now. So is it inside of the church, like a yeah. typical, I know, Catholic or person? I church? mean, they, they rebuilt a lot of it. Like, you know, the, how do you say that in English? Like when the glass in lead uh, windows, that's yeah. still there, some aspects, yeah. but the inside is very modern, so mm. has been rebuilt, basically. Cool. Looks nice. Cool. Yeah. Maybe when I'm in Amsterdam, I'll check it out. Yeah, man, do a, do a class. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also curious about the abs workout, because actually during the COVID, 
I started watching a lot of those YouTube videos yeah. on uh, ab workouts and yeah, uh, us too. Uh, yeah, 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 because yeah, you don't have access to the gym. I, I was used to doing more heavy machines. Yeah, and then during the COVID, it was not possible, obviously. So I was like, okay, what, what's there available? Started doing a lot of research. I found the uh, Atlean X. Okay. I really enjoyed his videos. Yeah, he has also like a couple of uh, seven minute, uh, six minute ab workouts. Yeah. Do them get completely destroyed in seven minutes? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, those are good. Yeah, the guy yeah. Uh, has some has some crazy abs. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to do a lot of calisthenic stuff at home. And I mean, when COVID hit, like I hadn't gone to the gym in years. I don't really go to the gym anymore. I have kettlebells and like weights at home. So when COVID hit, I had already everything mm. I needed, and I was already doing workouts from home. So that was actually didn't change much, basically. But I can imagine for you, you go to the gym a lot, no? Yeah, 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 yeah. I try to go to gym five times a week. Yeah. So that's quite a, quite a lot. Evening or morning? Uh, I'm an evening person. Yeah. Like maybe you can even still see that I'm still waking up <laughs> a bit in the morning, yeah. but <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, I'm really an evening morning. And um, I also uh, read that for your spine, mm. it's better to have, um, uh, so basically when you wake up, your body gets a bit um, inflammated in the sense that all the water goes into all the joints, and especially between your vertebrae and your spine. Okay. So you actually need to give it a couple of hours in the morning to get uh, the the blood flow going, to get the water a bit into places where it should be, rather than in one static places. Yeah. You basically get the blood flow going, you get more flexible, and then you can take much more um, weight, much more heavy things on yourself, basically. Yeah. And if you don't do that, there is a higher chance of injuries. So because of that, I will start doing it more in the evening. Mm. But I have to say that uh, right now, everyone is going to the gym. Gym is completely full. Any gym yeah, I go to, I like that. from 60 till 8, it's yeah. impossible to be there. No. So sometimes I'm thinking, ah, damn it, maybe I should do something in the morning. Maybe just take it easy, you know, have a chill workout, but do it in the morning. Yeah, yeah I, I re that's one of the aspects which I didn't like, that it was too busy, that yeah. I had to wait in line, or people were like eyeballing the same machines, especially guys love doing the same machines, basically. Yes. So yeah, that's uh, that was rough. Yeah. But I read somewhere that like the best where you're at like peak performance throughout the day is actually like early afternoon-ish. That's where you're the strongest. And then it probably builds off again. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And for myself, I can see it as well. In the morning, my nervous system is not awakened yet. You know, yeah. I need some time to get up to speed. And then I get stronger. I feel more alive somewhere in the afternoon. And I guess if you go late, probably six, eight, after work, people also maybe have some challenging jobs. Yeah. Then after work, you already lose some power. So... I, I can imagine that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You comfy, by the way? I think so, yeah. This is natural. You still think about doing a podcast? <laughs> um, I think I should do it. Yeah. Like, I don't really have an idea of what to do it or why, but looking at uh, yourself, for example, mm. I looked at your first episodes, you know, and it was just on a simple setup, I think on a laptop or whatever you did, yeah. right? And it was quite cool to see because it evolved from that just you, you by yourself speaking to to your friends, to inviting really cool guests and having this amazing studio around you. Yeah. And you can see that it just evolves over time, right? You didn't start perfect. No one started perfect. It's just about starting and doing it as yeah. much as possible. And I do have a challenge of uh, public speaking, right? For me, it, it is a challenge. Okay. So I think podcasting would be a great way for me just to open up on the camera, just to feel more relaxed and just to speak yeah, more freely. Why do you say public, public speaking is a challenge? Because... The way you come across is always very relaxed. You don't say a lot of ums in the way you speak. Um, <laughs> there, um, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I heard that a lot, but yeah. for me internally, there is always a struggle. Like yeah. 
when I when I'm in front of the camera, even right now, I'm not completely relaxed. I don't feel like it's not the same as we would be having conversation one on one. Like there is something in me feeling that oh, I'm on camera. I need to think. I'm a bit more cautious about myself, which is a bad thing because it shouldn't be about myself at all. Yeah, it's about just us having the conversation and audience getting the best out of it. Yeah. Right? it's not really about me. But it isn't me. It is. <laughs> it, it is somewhere there. You know, it's in my head trying to think. Oh, like don't say us. Don't. Uh, okay. Uh, don't look weird. Don't do this. Oh, how do you see it? You know, all those things. And I think the only way to fight this is just to keep practicing and just getting used to it. Because yeah. it's not really any different from what conversations we usually have at the dinner table or anywhere else. But yeah, I think I it's I just something. You yeah, something. You, you, you never had that? No, like. I had it in the beginning, like I wasn't really conscious about the cameras, but I did want to put on a good show. Yeah. And then now looking back, it's because of I got feedback from it last episode actually. Hmm. Um, was my friend Sabi Asashi. He said, You're very natural on camera. He was like, Are we recording? Is everything good? He was expecting some, he's also Indian. He said, I'm used to Bollywood. Someone turns on and like creates a <laughs> performance out of it. And he said, You're exactly the same. I spoke to you before the show, I spoke to you after the show, on the show, it's all the same. Yeah. And I think in the early days, it wasn't really like that. Maybe because I wanted it. I, I don't know what was different. Maybe I just got more comfortable with it. But I don't really care for the cameras. I just, be, I, I'm just being myself. And I think it translates maybe in the episode in the enjoyment as well. But it took a lot of time. And it's not something I did consciously. Yeah. It's not something I did differently early on. It just happened and gradually probably get more comfortable. No. But I don't really think about it that much, I must say. No, yeah. but that's absolutely true. And I, I, I believe that there is no such thing as being talented in a way, mm. right? We all have our experiences and everything you can learn, right? And even in your, what you're just saying is totally makes sense. Yeah. Not consciously, but you keep doing it and you see what makes your episode better, what comes out better on the camera and every time you can improve and you're getting better every time you do it. And you've done how many now? 400 podcasts? No, not 400. And this is like 111, 112. 111. Like yeah. Okay. 111. That's a lot of hours on the camera, right? So yeah. every time you do it, you get better. And looking back at the beginnings and at today, there's a huge difference. Yeah. And that's the only way to do it. Just keep doing it. So back to the question, should I start a <laughs> podcast? Yes. yes. <laughs> I think I should do it. Yeah. How, how would I start? Would I, I, I mean, just you invite got, a friend. You, you got a microphone here. You got a friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the setup here is already there. If you want to do it through Xibia, if you want to do it in your own time, that's a different topic, I guess. But yeah. in in Lead, they're starting a podcast now. That's true. Yeah, that's true. There is a podcast in Lead. Uh, we are not involved in that. Okay. Uh, me and Jetro, we are doing another thing. That's yeah. also actually on the camera. That's also in the studio. Yeah. And uh, that's a great experience as well. Uh, there we take a topic, and because what we realized. Okay, let me maybe just start a bit. Sure. Back. So in the uh, couple of months ago, I think, we started discussing this elite community. It appeared somewhere and I was like, oh, this is something that uh, strikes my interest. I want to do that. Yeah. I called Martin and we discussed, hey, I want to do something. What's there to do? He's like, you're free to do anything. We have a website. We have some content. If you produce some content, it would be great. Yeah. We were like videos. Hey, and Jetro, he wanted to pair up. Let's pair up. And in the same moment, I was actually researching what makes a good team lead. Mm. And when I was researching that, I saw that when you Google online, basically, like, hey, what makes a good team lead? And it's uh, five characteristics of a good team lead. Communication, empathy, uh, trustworthiness, and these kind of things, right? Yeah. They all make sense, but they're all very high level. They're all container words. 
And from reading it, you understand, yeah, okay, I need to have a good communication. Great. I need to make people trust me. Great. <laughs> but how do I actually do it, right? Yeah. So how do I actually be that trustworthy person? How do I make sure they have a good communication? Yeah. And what I did later on, that was a chat GPT time as well. So ask, mm -hmm. ask him the same Absolutely. questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he spits out the same uh, answers, of course, from, because yeah, he learns from the internet. Yeah. Or it learns from the internet. I guess Let's so. Let's not assume gender. <laughs> 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 yeah. So and he he gives me uh, it gives me exactly the same answers. Mm. And then I start digging him a bit deeper. Like, hey, what does it mean to have a good com uh, good communication and stuff? And I saw how hard it is to get uh, actual practical information from the internet on what does it mean to be a good communicator. Yeah. So we had the XKE. I think you attended that one. Good. He was a yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where the name of the ex key was what makes a good team lead. No, I didn't Maybe attend it. Oh, Actually, yeah. I wasn't there probably. Oh yeah, probably you were uh, on In one Portugal. of your uh, <laughs> Portugal <Yeah>. trips. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, and during that one, there was a huge turnout. People were very interested in the topic. I hope I didn't uh, disappoint them because I didn't have an answer what makes a good team lead. It was yeah. a question to the people. Ah. And we had a very good discussions and people had very different opinions, of course, what makes a good team lead. But there we started realizing how important it is to actually have a very good uh, examples of what makes a good team lead. Yeah. And we started thinking that we realized a lot that's indeed a lot about communication and trust. Those were the, the most important topics during that session. And we got some really good examples okay. of what, like one specific sentence the person would say or one specific behavior the person would say. And those were, I think, the most interesting for the group to hear. Yeah. Do you have so an example I, of that? Um, like a behavior or, or even something that someone would say? There is an example from my life. Maybe yeah. I can uh, tell that one. Sure. So in my previous job, previous, previous job, a yeah. <laughs> couple of employers before, I was also a consultant and um, I was on assignment. Mm. I was just a software developer on the assignment and we had a team lead. And we had to do something or we were asked to do something on Friday afternoon. Yeah. Which is not a great idea, uh -huh. but the, the, it was a holiday season, summer, the team lead, the tech lead and the team lead, he was away for a week. Yeah. And the PO uh, product owner was also away for a week. So PO was replaced by some other PO who was like, no, this really needs to be done on Friday. Yeah. I was Pushing. like, this is not a great idea. <laughs> Let's not do it. It was like, no, this needs to be done on Friday. Everyone is asking. It's not a big deal. We can do this. Don't worry. Of course, things went wrong. Yeah, on uh, Friday like afternoon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I I did what I was asked, and things went wrong. It was my mistake, uh, <laughs> totally. Um, of course, not pushing uh, enough back the PO, but yeah, these things come with experience. Yeah. And when the things went bad, when I learned about this on a Saturday morning. Mm. I was quite stressed, of course, because I got the call from the replacement PO. It's like, yeah, there is a problem. I was like, yeah, we won't be able to solve it now. We don't have people now to actually do anything. Yeah, yeah. On Saturday. Okay, let's wait until Monday. And this was maybe one of the most stressful uh, weekends in my life. Really? Because the whole weekend I was sitting and stressing out about, okay, how this will destroy my career. Yeah. How this is the end of my... How, how old were you also? That was, let me think. That I was, if I'm 30 now around 26 okay yeah yeah so i'm sitting there 26 year old stressing about my career how yeah. this is the end of it how i need to find a new <laughs> this job is the end of it yeah 
And then on Monday, uh, thankfully, our team lead comes. Yeah. But I was dreading that conversation every moment of the weekend because mm. I thought, oh, there's going to be a punishment. Or he, like, he told me what to do, what not to do. How would I do differently? Why would I do differently? Yeah. This is such a bad mistake. Oh, this is going to be horrible. And then this conversation on Monday morning arrives. I think it was the first conversation of the day, of course, because it's uh, something issue we need to solve uh, ASAP. Yeah. And to my surprise, the question from a team lead was, first one, hey, what happened? So we discussed what happened, and I was, you know, yeah. nervous, even more nervous than when I'm on the camera. Yeah, here, here it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my heart is beating, and I'm super worried about what's going to happen. And then he says, all right, uh, let's see how we can fix this. Yeah. So we spend more time fixing it. Uh, then I'm still dragging. I'm like, oh, okay, now it's going to be the moment when he's going to be like, hey, what have you done? Why didn't I tell you to do so? Yeah. And instead, the next question was like, all right, so we solved this. Uh, let's think how we can do, what we can do to improve the process so this doesn't happen again. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, I don't think... That's unexpected. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any finger pointing. I don't think he's even trying to make me feel bad. He's actually really trying to sit with me, help me learn, solve the problem that, just ha that I was part of. Yeah. But also he's building the gates to improve it for the people who make the same mistake. Because he said, yeah, everyone makes mistakes. We just need to make sure that our process is solid to prevent as many of these mistakes as possible. Exactly. And basically that conversation that I was so dreadful about, so worried about, it actually never came. Yeah. We just had a normal conversation. I acknowledged that I made a mistake. He acknowledged that the process can be improved. We discussed with the PO that, hey, next time we should not do uh, Friday releases for <laughs> the reason that you just saw. Yeah. And this really was a turning point in my career where I realized how important the leadership is. Mm. That's one of the examples where a good communication and giving feedback made me trust my team so much more because suddenly from being worried that I'm going to lose my job, yeah. I was not scared. I was like, oh, I have my team lead who supports me. And even if I make mistakes, he understands it and he helps me learn from them and grow. Yeah. And this was the moment when I was like, okay, that's, that's that, cool. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah that, I, can I, I want to be that person one day. Yeah. You know, and <clears throat> more and more over the years, I started realizing also that how important those communication skills in my job, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it's been four years now, if I was 26. So in four years, I've uh, grown in my seniority. I've been taking more and more um, leadership roles yeah. in the assignments. And I see how important it is because the work we do often is not really that complicated. Um, we, I think we had this discussion once when I call ourselves uh, code monkeys. <laughs> code monkeys. <laughs> that's, that's your term, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I did master's in computer science, right? Yeah. So, and while you're studying, you're doing all the super complicated stuff. You're solving some complicated algorithms. You're designing new software stuff that hasn't been done before. Yeah. Especially when you write your thesis, when you spend a bit more time on a project, right? You do something that I consider it complicated. Mm. And whenever you do a real software development, it's usually just connecting libraries together. And it's not really that uh, mentally challenging it's you don't need to take so many abstract ideas in in, in your head and try to solve them yeah it's it, about, it depends on your domain mostly yeah mo but most of the time usually the complex problems are like scarce i would say yeah 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 i'm not saying that there are no complex problems in what yeah. we do that's absolutely not true but most of the work we do it's you solve a problem and then you just repeat 
especially I think the good example is when you join a team that already has all the infrastructure set up, they yeah. already have all their software designed, and then you're asked to add the component somewhere on the yeah. back end on the front end. What do you do? You rarely solve a new problem. You open the component that already exists, you copy it, and then you modify it to do your work. Yeah. And that's kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't say, not gonna put a number on it, but that's majority of our work. Yeah, Sometimes a, we have to solve some complicated questions, but that's not always the case. Yeah, it's the it's a different phase of a project, right? When, once you're live, then it's more so, okay, you build on top of what is yeah. there, you uphold the conventions, and because those conventions are already there, it makes it easier for you to build on top of, but then it also reduces kind of, yeah, the complexity side of things. Which is probably a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's absolutely that's, good That's thing. a good project, <laughs> probably, then. Yeah, yeah. and uh, for the first couple of years of your career, I think those are still challenging problems. Yeah. But more and more I, I develop in my uh, career, yeah. I notice that the biggest issues I have at work are not with the software, but with people, getting people to work together, getting people to achieve the goal, keeping them motivated, yeah. seeing what happens if uh, they're not performing or if they're not as interested, how, how do you deal with that? And these things, I feel like becoming more and more important, especially mm -hmm. now with the tools like ChatGPT that can write that component for you without you <laughs> spending any time on it, Yeah. right? So <clears throat> yeah, this, that's why uh, I'm getting more into this topic and I can imagine. the community. Right, so we actually went from the lead community, right, to all of this, all <laughs> this long story to the yeah, yeah. to the chat GPT making story. So uh, in the lead community, we are making those videos where um, with Jetro, yeah, where we are discussing. Okay, that's the situation. So we put ourselves in a concrete situation with a concrete team. Of course, it's an imaginary team, yeah. but we make a very concrete situation. We describe it, and then we ask guests. Uh, in in this case, it's Jetro to behave like they would behave in a real team uh, okay. on a very concrete examples. Yeah. So it's not really a podcast. It's more like a video where we discuss, okay, uh, this is the station Jetro. Uh, the uh, front end developer is doing this. The product owner is doing that. Yeah. They have a problem here. What would you do? It's like a case study. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a case study. So we really hope to make it more practical examples on how to behave as a team lead. Yeah. Hopefully this can uh, be useful for people. I can imagine. I, I like that the behavior or kind of the scenario that you laid out, right, that made you kind of look at your team lead in a different light. I think that's very recognizable, at least for me, because I've had a similar instance. And I, I wonder if it's recognizable for a lot of people as well, because I, I didn't have a computer science background. I started out in operations. And in operations, you put stuff in operations, you have like your alarm on your phone, the whole shebang, right? And I would run standby on weekends, on holidays, the whole thing. This was during office hours. I had just picked up this new tool that my colleague literally taught me. And I knew I had messed up something. It was like a scheduling thing. But all of a sudden, the whole scheduling layout, the things that depend on each other and then have to put a file somewhere or transfer it, something like that, it was double. It was basically, imagine a <laughs> copy-paste of the whole scheduling workout. And then all the jobs <clears throat> interfere with each other, basically. And I was like, oh my God, what just happened? Like, what did I do? And I was like, oh, this is a... This is a big mess up. I was like, I don't know how I got here, but I definitely know I fucked up basically. And then my phone rang. Like I was still at the office. The guy that taught me was on a different floor. He was on the first floor. I was on the second. And I, I saw my phone ring. And you know, like you can get chills in a good way. This was not chills. Like this was like a feeling of dread. I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. no, here it goes. Yeah. And I thought about like 
not picking up and just running away. And I was like, this is not really an option. So I, I opened the phone and I was like, hey, what happened? And I'm like, I have no idea, but it's, it's definitely broken. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll have a look at it. And then I was like, okay. And exactly like you said, like I, I was even, I was a bit more younger. Like I think I was 22. I was like, okay, this is, this is how people get fired. Like legit, yeah. this is how people get fired. That's it. I have to look for a new job now. And he basically, he, he solved it. He solved it without me being there because he was like, okay, the urgency was that bad that I had to solve it. And then he came to my floor. He was like, hey man, how you doing? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, I fucked up. Like I know I fucked up. It, it couldn't be more obvious. But instead of blaming me, he was like, I mean, everyone everyone messes up. He, and then he told me a story about when he messed up, which was way worse than what I did. And I was like, oh my God, like you're still here? <laughs> yeah. And people started laughing because obviously it was like an open office kind of scenario. People started laughing. And because he saw people laughing, he started talking about their stories and when they fucked up. And I was like, yeah, okay. That's very cool. These were all way worse than mine. I was like, okay, this is, this is probably okay. And then he laid out like how 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 it happened in the first place, because I still had no clue, was this new tool, how he solved it as well, and how to move forward from it. And we talked about, okay, what can we do to prevent this? And I was like, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm not gonna get fired, like this is fine. He said, everyone makes mistakes. And I've seen that throughout my career. Like that was the first instance. And then when someone else made a mistake, I was like, I tried to be like that guy, like everyone makes mistakes, don't worry about it, <laughs> right? And, I think that's natural in our process. When you first experience that, you're like, okay, I really fucked up and you, tr you, you wanna hide, but you can't really hide. And those people around you that make you kind of feel at ease, that's a golden moment. And yeah. I think you will always remember that moment. I will always right. remember mine. Yeah. And I hope everyone kind of gets those same moments in there. I feel like if that doesn't happen in your environment, then it might be the wrong environment because that, that is supposed to happen, I feel like in our field because you are dealing with complexity. You're dealing with systems. Things are not linear. Things can just explode on the one end while you were like, okay, I was touching this thing on the other complete side of things. Yeah. And you can't really explain it. I mean, in hindsight you can, but then yeah, it's, it's your fault, but it's kind of not, and maybe it is your fault, but it's okay. And I think that's the, that's the best takeaway there. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, so how did it make you feel that moment that you, uh, the, the team lead that you yeah. had when he said, hey, you know, this is a mistake and I made it worse. That was probably an, a relief, right? Like a instant relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't even a team lead. Like he was just my direct colleague. Oh, okay. Like I, I don't even think you have to be in a leadership position to do that to someone else. I think everyone can That's do that for true. everyone, which is really cool. But yeah, the, the feeling of relief, I, the thought, thinking back now, I was happy to be there. Happy to be in that team, happy to be in that environment because if you feel safe, you're happy in your environment and I think you can thrive even more than you've already been doing. Yeah. I was just happy to be there and happy to be part of it. Happy that the opposite didn't happen, the, the thing that I was afraid of, basically. And I'm wondering, because I had exactly the same, right? I yeah. was absolutely dreading that conversation. So I'm wondering where is that coming from, our notion, our feeling that we are so worried about these conversations with the team leads. But I mean... It's, it's not a notion of perfection, I think. It's just a high sense of responsibility, right? And if you kind of clash with that or if something happens that you're like, okay, I, I should have done better. You already said you should have pushed back more. You should have done X, Y, and yeah. Z different. Those were probably the same thoughts, but either you get overruled, either you just go with the yeah. flow, but something happens and you you kind of disagree with what happened, but you still do it. 
And I have no clue. I still don't exactly know what happened. I mean, I know how I can prevent it. But when it happened, I was like, oh, I have no clue you what I just did. Right? And yeah, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be in that situation. I didn't want to be the person that did that. And I don't know why that is. But it's definitely there. <laughs> I think but it has to do with the responsibility, I guess. After that experience, right? Next time you make this mistake, you're not going to be as worried. No, 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 no. That's the thing. So we are somehow preconditioned to be very worried about such things. Yeah. I know what's coming from. Maybe it's from our education and schools when we are very worried that the teacher will tell us how bad we performed. Yeah. Maybe it's coming from the surroundings. Because I've seen bad leaders. I've seen bad colleagues who would first try to point fingers before trying to solve the problem and seeing how this can be prevented. Yeah. I've seen those people. Yeah. So I think that in my case, it's coming actually from the environments I was working in and seeing how bad can, this can be. Do you think it's also related, uh, relatable for you? or It can even be earlier because I was always taught to own up to mistakes, mm. never point fingers. Like that is the worst. If I point fingers, I would get a worse like scolding than if I would just be like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. And I know I did it and I'm sorry, basically. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. that was always my upbringing. It has a lot to do with my mom, I guess. Um, but you own up to what you do, right? And you make sure that you're in control. If I would say, oh, it's because of this, they would, they would be like, no, that's an excuse. You just own up to it. Like you did it, basically. Yeah. And it's okay that you did it. Yeah. That was my upbringing. But I felt like, okay, because I was in an organization and the impact of my actions are wider, usually than kind of my small circle of influence, I, I think that's where the feeling of dread came mm. because I thought the impact was greater. It affected more people. More people would know about it even. Kind of a feeling of shame maybe even. Yeah. I think that's where the feeling of dread came in. But I feel like the not pointing fingers that had a lot to do with my upbringing as well. Mm. Do you recognize that? I can't really relate these experiences to my upbringing. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm perfectionist uh, from childhood as well. Yeah, always. <laughs> that's... Uh, <laughs> I'm getting less of perfectionist because in our industry, you know, you can't be a perfectionist. You need yeah. to deliver things and you're constantly in iterative process of improving things. So just waiting until something is perfect is not the, it's not the industry to be in then if you want to do that. Yeah. So I'm getting better and better at it. But I think that played a role because I always try to be my best. I always try to perform at, at my highest peak performance, mm. obviously in my career. And when you make such mistakes, I think that's uh, when it gets uh, very uncomfortable. Yeah, because you're not perfect. <laughs> you realize you're not perfect in that yeah. moment and your whole self-image is destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But still, you didn't point fingers, right? You could have said, oh, I was the PO that pushed and blah, blah, blah. And I no. just did it. No. no, 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 no. That's also that that also, I think I'm also had a good upbringing, yeah. I guess. Yeah, the painting fingers, we, we knew it's not good. But I was worried about this conversation. And the point that I'm thinking about is that after that conversation, I think we are much more relaxed with you to make those mistakes. And we know that mistakes happen and it's fine and yeah. we can just learn from them. And that made me, in one moment, I think in that one moment, that made me a much better software developer and maybe much better employee in general because I knew that, hey, I have the safety and if things even go south, it's not, that's my fault. Yeah. You know, we are doing, we are in this together and I can be much more, um, risky and daring in doing the things I do. Not saying that I'm going to do mistakes, yeah. but more risky at saying maybe no to the PO and saying that, hey, no, uh, this is not going to be done, even though I know that you are much higher, that yeah. there's a client, like stakeholders really, really wanted, but I really think it's not there. 
just having that confidence that you can do these things and if things are not going well you will be supported right and i think that feeling that i got i think you already mentioned it, that this, everyone should experience that everyone yeah. should have that leader on them and i've seen very bad leads where people would scold each other and say hey dude i told you not to do this yeah. i told you like didn't you read the manual it's in the manual you shouldn't have done this we told you we never do friday releases you know come on man like there are people like you like should this know well. better yeah you should yeah, know better th that is rough that's yeah. pretty rough yeah i can imagine that that does a lot on the opposite side of things and i feel like and i said this before i feel like people behave like the people around them like the experience that you laid out and the experience that I laid out, like it gave us a perspective of a certain way, but yeah. maybe before you didn't even know that was an option, right? Exactly. And because show, someone showed you that is an option and you like that option, you're also gonna give that option to other people. But to the people that don't give that, give out that option or don't get that kind of perspective, yeah, they kind of stay narrow-minded in that way and they might behave like some people behave to them as well. Unfortunately, that's the case. That's, that's why, rough. yeah, that's why, I'm realizing more and more how important it is to, for people to learn about leadership, to yeah. pe for people to learn about communication, about giving the feedback, right? There are a lot of nice books and a lot of nice courses available to f for this. Yeah. And even for people who are just want to do technology, right? They want to focus on being the best in the field they are. I think it's super important to sometimes also focus on this side of things yeah. because they can be that example for their peers, right? The only people who can get away with without those communications because are people who work by themselves. And I yep. think every day there is less and less these people who build their whole systems uh, alone because systems get exponentially more complex. You need more and more people to work on something worthwhile working. Yeah. So most of the work that we do is in the teams. So it, most of the time you spend interacting with other people. So it's super important to be able to actually communicate and give feedback if stuff goes wrong. Yeah. I think the giving feedback part is especially important. So where you understand, okay, how to give effective feedback without making a person feel that he's a failure or he's doing something, yeah. Without him losing hope basically. Yeah, exactly. So. I'm curious because you're doing software engineering more on the day-to-day, -day, but do you think like a path in team lead, tech lead, or like even engineering manager, first of all, there's way too many. You have different, different flavors yeah. of the same thing-ish ish because it depends on the organization and the context but do you think that's like a next step for you or is there other options as well that you're kind of considering right now yeah this is the topic i'm the most excited about yeah there is no single technology that i'm interested more in than this uh, topic of uh, being a good communicator and a leader in the team yeah so this is the topic that I'm focusing on right now, and that's the area I really see myself growing in. Yeah. However, I still can't imagine myself being too far from technology because I still love in the afternoon tinkering with making some little projects. Right now I'm making a little game with my 14-year-old uh, brother. Yeah. He makes all the assets and he likes to draw. He's, he wants to be an artist, a game designer. So I thought to, in, to help him be what he wants to become, I was like, okay, let's do a summer project. Let's that's make a awesome. game together because I can program things which you absolutely hate <laughs> i can do that part for you but you can be my uh, creative designer yeah right? so i still enjoy doing all that coding part and technologies and actually yeah i really enjoyed like while making games i actually realized how much more business logic you have to write in while making a game mm. because most of it is writing your gameplay loops and thinking how things are moving around whereas 
when you build web applications, it's more about, okay, how does it deploy on the cloud? How is this uh, cloud application connected to a database? It's a lot of interconnections between different systems, yeah. and you spend much less time writing the logic. Well, of course, it depends which area you're in, but at least in my day-to-day -day job, <laughs> right, it's more about integrating different solutions in clouds. Yeah, it can be. So I still really, really enjoy it. Um, it's very hard for me to say at this stage, well, let's get back to this in a couple of years. Yeah. I'll, I'll see where we get. I mean, there's there's phases in this thing, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're in a team of software engineers, they can have a, a tech lead. We both have the training of Paqua. Yeah. And um, I think above tech lead, you have like, a, I mean, engineering manager, team lead-ish, and then you manage one team. But you also have engineering managers that manage multiple teams. And then you have like director of engineering who just oversees all of like software development. And I feel like at that utmost like top level, then you're really like hands off. You probably have to know what's going on, but on a way more higher level. Yeah. Whereas if you're engineering manager, I think engineering managers are still great if they have technical knowledge and if they do stuff like that, hand, hands on, right? If you have a release process, if you have a support line, if you um, even develop a feature, just knowing what goes into it, you can already figure out pain points that your team is also feeling and then step in when it actually needs to be resolved. I think that knowledge is, is invaluable to a lot of managers as well. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna say that from that uh, conversation, not conversation, the course we took with, with Patrick Kua, yeah. the great uh, tech lead is the person who is first in different things. You still need to know your domain and absolutely agree with that. You, of course, you need to be a good communicator, you need to be a good architect, and you still need to know your domain very well and be it tech savvy. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot. The people who are technologically savvy and they come into a team, even if they don't need to do any coding, but just their way of understanding, like how they understand what it takes to deliver some work, when, when they understand how long it takes usually, mm. what the challenges there are, how they can be solved. It helps so much just to be a good team lead because you can much easier conceptualize what the team is talking about. Yeah. I'm not saying that's absolutely needed, I think I would rather have a good communicator team lead than a good technology uh, domain expert in the team. Yeah, I think the communication is still the most important part. However, it adds a lot having this technological yeah, uh, I yeah, yeah expertise absolutely. in the team. Yeah, I'm I'm listening to this audiobook. It's by Camille Fournier, and it's like the past the engineering manager. Oh yeah, and there's this funny thing because she laid out the concept of a brilliant jerk. Or someone is a is a genius, but just an asshole. <laughs> like that's that's my summary. <laughs> Pretty sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they are super productive, and they can really help when it comes to feature development and implementation. Yeah. But they're just an asshole to work with. And I've worked with people in the team, and I can like figure out how to deal with them, like on a day to day. But then she was like, "Yeah, what if you have to manage that person, right?" The best way to deal with it and never get like involved in that scenario is not to hire them. But let's say you become a manager and the guy or that person, that guy or girl is already there. Yeah, then you have to like address behavior and it's gonna be a challenge because they're gonna have a lot of ammunition going against it. And obviously the organization likes them because they are productive, yet they are just an asshole to work with. I, I think that's a very interesting dynamic that you wouldn't get otherwise. I mean, you can get it in a team, but being responsible like on a people level, that's yeah. a different dynamic. Have you ever worked with like the someone come to mind where you're like, okay, they might have been a brilliant asshole? Uh, yeah, I've yeah, seen <laughs> yeah. Of course, uh, I've I've seen these people uh, super talented, really good at what they do. They 
it's usually the, also the people who are able to build the whole project by themselves. Yeah, yeah. They're so smart. They're so good at this. They've done it so many times. They can just build the whole project by themselves. The problem arises though when you need to add people into their team. Yeah. Because they're really bad with working, with explaining what they do, with coaching, with teaching. They're very. They don't have patience either. They don't have any patience. Yeah. Because they're really good, right? So everyone else around them is very slow and productive to them. Yeah. And they get annoyed by that. Why can't you be as good as I am? And this creates a very toxic environment. And unfortunately, I think on the long term, those teams that have those geniuses, unless that's a genius that can do most of the work themselves, if they have to, if the project comes to a point where they really have to work with other people, yeah. unfortunately, the relationships are so toxic that people just start leaving. Yeah. People are just not happy and it's usually not really good for the company and the team. Unless you have like a um, separate feature that that one 10x developer can do by themselves, maybe someone can handle their arrogance, mm. maybe they can work together, but once you try to put them in typical scrum team, a typical software engineering scheme team, that becomes a bit of a yeah, because, I can imagine. Yeah. And I, then I've seen people leaving. I've seen that really. Yeah, yeah. But now, feedback. now imagine you're responsible, like you're an engineering manager, like you're responsible for the team, and you see that your people are leaving because of this person. Yeah. Now you have to address behavior, yeah. or you have to think like, okay, can they fit in another team? Are they going to have the same problem? Or maybe the organization is just not a good fit. Yeah. I think those conversations are first of all going to be very, very valuable. You're going to learn a lot from them but they are going to be probably the hardest conversations you're going to have. have yeah. yeah, like that's a, that's a difficult part. And if I were a brilliant jerk, I would have a million reasons why obviously I'm effective within the team and why I am a good fit. And obviously because they're still there, they're probably happy with what they're doing. Um, a lot of people also, the more experience they build up at an organization, the more they can leverage that, the more they just feel at ease because they just know and things fall into place more based off the history of, of them being there. So yeah, those conversations are gonna be hard then. <laughs> did you like, did you already have a, such a conversation? No, no, no. no, no it yet. was just she was painting the picture, and I was like, yeah, oh, that dang. is that is probably a rough one, right? Like within the team, I feel like I've I've had those conversations, and it can be pretty hard, and it can talk about behavior. But I am not responsible for moving someone somewhere else or for moving someone outside of the organization, right? I feel like then a lot more internal politics, HR gets involved. Like it's a, it's a different kind of circus, I feel like. Yeah. It's something that yeah, I think communication and giving feedback, yeah. those are the skills you need to address the situation. And there, I read a couple of books on um, yeah, effective communication. I think my favorite one is Never Split the Difference. Okay. Have you read that one? No. Nope. Chris was. Absolutely love it. It's actually about negotiating, but negotiating is actually just having conversation between two people and coming to a common agreement. Yeah. So even this conversation with this person that is uh, brilliant, how did you call him? Brilliant, brilliant jerk. Brilliant jerk. Yeah. Telling them that, hey, we need to work in a team. They say, hey, I don't care. Yeah, I'm much exactly. better than everyone else. I don't work. This is also a neg negotiation in a way. So that's why that book was maybe the most influential book in my communication skills uh, library, let's say. Yeah. And there are some techniques there where you could communicate with such a person and try to come to a common agreement. Because it's not that you will just tell them what to do and they will do it. Yeah. No, they need to enjoy it and they need to see the value in them doing this. Exactly. Right? So maybe approaching the person that has that issue 
well, not issue, who is a brilliant jerk and they think they don't need anyone else to do their work, if you could somehow convince them and show them that, hey, working in a team, this is very productive, you love your product, you love your company, you're doing a really good job for it, but if you have someone to work with, this might be even better. Yeah. The performance might even improve your product that you love because they're doing it for some reason, right? And most probably they love their product, they're super proud of their work. So if you can show them that working with other people can actually make their product even better, this might be the starting point. You know, It's not something you're gonna solve in one conversation yeah. or two, but that's the first steps you can take and see how you can change the mindset of the person saying that, hey, there's actually people who can help you yeah, or with whom maybe not help you, but help the product get to a better state if you work together. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot because if you think about a common goal and a team, like everyone is contributing and everyone thinks probably they're doing a good job or adequate job. Everyone's doing their best, I feel like always. Yeah. And usually there's no ill will on purpose. That no. just doesn't make sense because then why would you be there if you're not happy? So then if there's no ill will, you just have to find an angle that works for everyone. It's probably where the negotiation comes in. You have to find a good angle where everyone can see the benefit and we, where you kind of meet halfway. Yeah. I think that's... Uh, it's very valuable. That's when, it, when it comes to like communication, yeah. giving feedback, do you do practice that consciously like more on a day-to-day? -day? Uh, yeah. Uh, my family is usually... <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I live with my girlfriend and every time I read a book or something on communication, I'm like, hmm, let's see how can I improve my really? relationship with my... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's absolutely true. So Does she know? Wait, wait, wait. Does she know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she figures out quite... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because suddenly I become a very different person, yeah. much better person, <laughs> okay, actually. Yeah, okay. You know, I think the family is the place where it's the hardest mm. to get the emotions out of the way and think logically and have that negotiation or conversation or to give a proper feedback. I think that's the, mo the place where it's the hardest. Yeah. So it's a really good place for me also to try things out and see how they work or not. And the things that work in the... Uh, negotiation with your girlfriend or wife yeah. are definitely going to help you in any other station because those <laughs> negotiations are the hardest. They're the hardest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, but do you, do you negotiate the same way? Like, if I think about myself, sometimes with my family, I can be on purpose a bit more of an asshole than I am in person. That's and they're like, I hate negotiating with you because you just <laughs> say no all the time. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm the older brother, I can do that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, as I said, at home, it's very different. Mm. And you're much more professional in the office with your colleagues, with the uh, stakeholders, yeah. etc. But you can be a bit more, um, a bit more finesse at home, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. But that's where it's the most, I think, obvious where something works and when something doesn't, because the stakes are high, right? Mm. It's the person you love, it's the person you care about. They want something, you want something, there is emotions. And if the techniques work there, they have a very good chance of working in the professional environment. At yeah. least that's what I experienced. And I've tried it a lot, and sometimes person doesn't even notice, so it can be my brother, it can be my girlfriend, anyone else. Sometimes they don't notice, sometimes they do notice. Uh, of course, I always tell them that uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to play any manipulative games. But most of the time it actually helps, because there is no, in, even in negotiation, there is no such thing as playing the person, yeah. like making them feel bad. No, the goal of the negotiation is to come to a common ground, finding that sweet spot, understanding the real issue, what the person 
on the other side of the table really wants. Mm. It's a lot about hearing, a lot about letting them open up and hearing what they actually want behind them, screaming and saying that, hey, I don't want anyone else to work with me. Yeah. I'm really good by myself. There is probably the reason. There is probably something they want to achieve, maybe something they're scared to lose by bringing people on board. Yeah. Right. And that's what negotiation is. So usually it actually helps both of the people. And that's how I like to approach any kind of now communications with people especially if we are coming from a different sides and we're trying to spar on some ideas that we have completely different views. Yeah. It's about understanding where that person is coming from, what he actually thinks rather than what he says or what I hear. Yeah. Right? Like trying to understand. And it's not always possible. It's not always possible from the first attempt, not from the second, maybe sometimes it just doesn't happen. But it definitely made my life more productive, mm. I would say. Uh, we get to agreements with people more often and we find a common goal and we go towards it. Yeah, interesting. I like that, or it's interesting to me that when I asked you, like, where do you practice your communication and giving feedback? You went to probably the safest environment that you have, right? Because you're your family, your girlfriend. That can't be any more safe than that. Where if you say something or if you practice something, they're not going to judge probably. They're just going to go along with it. They're going to give you that feedback and you're going to know they're going to be honest. Or you can get it out of them because you know them, right? It's the history you've built up. You've, <laughs> grew, you've grown together. And it is probably the safest environment that you can find. And I feel like the environment plays such a big factor in some people being comfortable that it makes a lot of sense. If you're trying out something new, it is sometimes a bit vulnerable, especially if I'm yeah. looking at you. If you want to be perfectionist, yeah. then if you put yourself out there and you make mistakes, then you're a bit more vulnerable, especially yeah. with that kind of uh, mindset. And then you go to the safest environment. That makes a lot of sense. I feel like the environment, obviously also due to kind of our perspectives and, and the things we've seen in our previous experience, the environment plays a big factor. And environment is interesting because everyone contributes to that environment, yeah. to making it safe, to making it open. Everyone contributes in their own way. And there's different environments in different rooms and different conversations, but the environment plays a big factor in people feeling at ease. I think that's very, very cool, actually. Yeah. For me, I'm not sure if the safest environment. You don't think so? <laughs> I don't As know if that's said, a good thing to say. Quite, yeah, the yeah. stakes are quite, well, of course it's a safe in a sense, but. In a comfort level. Yeah, it's, it, you know that you can make mistakes and things will not uh, be destroyed for that, yeah. right? But the, what, what, what I've said is the emotions are quite high in that mm. environment. So sometimes it's much harder to apply those techniques at home rather than in a professional environment. Yeah, Because it's not the only place where I train, of course. When I pick up a new technique, I also try it uh, whenever it's possible, whenever the opportunity arises. I usually make a little list of things I want to try. And then when the opportunity comes, I try to say, think of one or two things that I can try and say to the person, or, yeah, actually, maybe not even a couple of things. What helps works best is just choosing one topic and going with that one and practicing. And that's it, because it doesn't usually come natural, right? If you learn yeah. something, it means that you haven't done this before, so it doesn't really come naturally to. And yeah, I was saying that I'm not sure if that's the, <laughs> like the safe in that sense. I think this because when you do it in a more professional environment, mm. you try something, and if it doesn't work. You just go ahead. No one's going to be asking you, what did you mean by this? Why yeah. did you say this? Why did that, right? So things just kind of move on. 
in that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at home, I think you can get the question: Hey, are you uh, trying to uh, do I mean, something? That's, that's fair. <laughs> it, maybe it's because I don't really have secrets. If people would ask me, I'll just be like, "Yeah, I was trying something out." <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny family dynamic, I think. Yeah, but I would recommend you to uh, put that book on the list yeah. and uh, try out some. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really read a lot, man. I, no? That's why I'm, I'm trying to listen no. more to audiobooks okay. and like uh, gain knowledge through that. That's what I did. It was an audiobook yeah? for me as well. Yeah, when I say I read a book, it's a, it's a mix. Sometimes I read, sometimes I listen because I drive a lot. I yeah. live uh, one hour away from work. Yeah. So for me, it's a one hour one way, one hour back. That's chunky. That's a lot, yeah. yeah. So I can basically finish quarter of a book listening on a two times speed. Yeah. Sometimes. You do double speed as well. Yeah. Oh, maybe I should try that. <laughs> so, sometimes there's like a voice and I'm like, this is slow. It really depends on the person speaking. Yeah. Sometimes they have very good pace and it's very easy to listen to them. Sometimes it feels like they are being a bit too yeah. slow. Very, and very I slow. already understood your concept. Please move <laughs> on. But that's why they have this very nice button. I think yeah. on every application you use now, you can have a 1.5, yeah. two times the speed, etc. Do you feel like you retain information as good as when you're reading? No. No, absolutely eh? not. No, no. So that's absolutely true. I don't retain information because also when I read, I always have a notebook next to me. Okay. So I always write down the notes. Sometimes write down, sometimes sure, type sure. down. <laughs> <laughs> and when listening, first of all, I'm more visual person. So my eyes, I think, feel like my brain that responsible for what perception of my eyes is much more developed than my ears. Yeah. So I already. I receive much more information when I'm reading, though I'm also taking notes. And with the reading, listening, you don't get, yeah, the the information from with your eyes, but you also, often I cannot take notes. So what I end up doing often is actually reading multiple times. If there is a chapter that like clicks with me when I'm driving, I try to remember it, or uh, if it's possible, take a note, like a bookmark. Yeah. And then I go and listen to it again with a notebook next to me. Or if I have a physical copy, I will also just read that chapter again mm. and try to take notes because indeed the retention is not the same. No, no, no I've been struggling with that. Yeah. I feel like I have to up my note-taking game because otherwise I'm like, okay, this was useless. Like <laughs> you spend time in it and uh, if you don't retain any information, maybe it anchors in like you can recall some information. Yeah. But if not, then yeah, it might be kind of useless. What I noticed is that the more you read, the more you realize that most of the books have kind of the same concepts. Okay. If you read about communication, because uh, talking about this Chris Wallace's book, Never Split the Difference, there is multiple other books very famous. I think How to Win Friends mm. and Influence. Okay. There's a couple of uh, books which are very similar topics, and there are older ones. I think Chris Wallace is one of the newest ones. They all have very similar concepts, right? So if you're kind of reading them one after each other, they'll f sound very repetitive, and that's fine because each book has something unique in it. Mm. But the point is that you don't need to understand everything or remember everything from the book. Yeah. To me, it's a successful book if there is one, at least one concept that really clicked on me, that I can apply, that I will remember forever and that I will share with people. Like this book, for example, clicked with me, so I'm talking about it right now. Yeah. Recently I read a peak performance I forgot the author, unfortunately. Yeah. Also an amazing book about how to learn, about um, putting your best into learning any kind of subject, right? Okay. It's a, sci it's a scientific research on uh, how people yeah, get to where they want the best. 
it's called del- they called it a deliberate practice it's not when you just like if you want to get better at chess it's not about just playing chess with a friend it's about deliberately trying to improve yourself exactly by remembering positions trying difficult stuff and forcing like training is uncomfortable so there's two things you see this is just one thing that stuck on me in the book i also just listened to it i didn't really read it but it stuck on me and i'm uh i'm re-listening again some parts of it because i'm like oh wow this is gonna teach me how to become better at things so much faster i'm taking notes i'm reading it so it's really you don't need to understand all the book it's not necessary uh waste of time if you didn't remember everything every single chapter if you picked up one or two concepts that's great and later you can when those concepts start to fade out you need to revisit it anyway i think that's a really good perspective yeah Yeah, it's like trimming the fat and finding the essence yeah i think that's mostly it yeah Yeah, man i've really enjoyed this talk man this was a lot of fun (laughs) was this kind of what you expected uh yeah yeah i think so good stuff man is there anything uh, you uh you still want to share no, it was a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed it. it you made me feel much more comfortable <laughs> than I was worried about. So it's pretty cool. The time flew by. I thought we were like 30 minutes in maybe or something. No, but is it an uh, hour already? It's uh, close to an hour. I would wow. say like 50, 50 minutes cool. something. No, yeah. It was a pleasure. Cool, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I'm going to put all Rustam's socials in the description below. Check them out. Let them know you came from our show. And with that being said, thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next one.